Welcome to The Divorce Podcast, where we explore all aspects of ending relationships, separation, and parenting apart. If your marriage or partnership has ended, or you have friends and family who are separating, this podcast is for you. I'm Kate Daly, a relationship counsellor, divorce specialist, and co-founder of Amicable, the online legal service for separating couples. In each episode, we look at relationships and separation from different angles, including the emotional, legal, and social. I'm joined by experts and special guests who share their own unique stories, experience, and tips with the goal of helping people end relationships in a kinder and better way. In this episode, I was joined by Mark Groves, a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love, to discuss codependency in relationships, separation and divorce. Mark is a speaker, writer, motivator, creator and podcaster. We begin this episode by exploring how codependency can manifest in romantic and other personal relationships. We look at the link between codependency and addiction as well as whether a codependent relationship can ever be healthy. We talk about ending a codependent relationship and how fear is often a driver for couples staying together in unhealthy and unhappy relationships. We end the episode with Mark talking about the role of boundaries in healing codependency and in co-parenting. If you loved this episode, then please subscribe and rate us on your preferred listening platform. Mark is a friend of the podcast, and this is his second appearance. You can check out his previous guest spot at episode 61. Welcome back, Mark. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. I like to be the friend, <laughs> a friend of the podcast. It's very kind of you to join us again. So today we're going to talk about codependency and codependent relationships. So let's start kind of at the beginning and just give an explanation of what a codependent relationship is. And then we'll come on and talk about how that might impact the ending of a relationship. Yeah, you know, really, if you look at most relationships, they tend to be codependent. And that's not a criticism of relationships. It's just that we don't really know how to differentiate between codependence and interdependence. And it actually takes things like breakups, divorces, frictions in our relationships, rock bottoms, you know, whatever we might define that as health stuff, uh, could be relationship to food, fitness. What happens is, is we start to see where we don't prioritize ourselves. You know, codependency at its root is placing your safety and security outside of yourself. So it's that you find it, generally, if we're talking relationally, it's that I prioritize the relationship over me. And a really healthy relationship, which is available to all of us once we learn this stuff through things like this podcast, is that the relationship matters as much as me, not more than me, not less than me, and, you know, we could see how those more than me or less than me are really associated with how we deal with insecurity and connection. Some people cling and some people distance and some people do both just to keep things interesting. So at the basis, that's kind of it is like we just we don't know how yet to honor both individuals and, and really create a connection between us and the person. And it can be any relationship that is about the individual thriving and thus the couple thriving. 
Well, that's so interesting, isn't it? So, I mean, we are going to talk today about, I guess, romantic relationships because of divorce and separation. But it's interesting to know that, yes, of course, there can be codependent relationships, whether that's through friendships or whether it's with our children or sort of other kind of relationships. So I guess even at work, but that's, if we focus on the kind of romantic relationship, is it a personality type that tends towards codependency or is it just a function of the relationships we form rather than our personalities? You know, someone who identifies as an empath or a highly sensitive person, they might be more prone to it. You see people who go into caretaking roles like being a therapist, being a coach, being a dietitian, a healthcare practitioner. When I look at the basis of the choice to go into that, it's usually because we're good at it. But we're good at it because it was probably a role we took on as children in our family system to maintain the peace, to make sure everyone's okay. So we build a superpower, a super sensitivity to deviations and wanting to help people. And we monetize it sometimes in our businesses. But there needs to be a change where it goes from how I source my worth, not fiscally, but like how I actually source my value. I'm valuable if you need me. I'm valuable if uh, you can't leave me if you need me. And so there's an unconscious, generally, repetition of a pattern from childhood. Now, for the other side of codependency, I'm talking about the side that really is overfunctioning, is doing too much, is booking their partner's appointments, putting books under their pillow, hoping they read them, sending them podcasts they hope and they listen to, they listen to, which is beautiful. But if we don't leave space for the other person to grow up, which all our growing up is actually leaving space, stepping back. The other side of it is usually a self-identification with being a problem, not having it all figured out, being less than, having addictions. And, uh, you know, the root of the, the conversation about codependency is really found in addiction work in CODA, I think it was CODA, and Melanie Beattie really being the, the sort of godmother of the term, wrote a book based on uh, her work of being in relationship with people in recovery. And so when we look at uh, codependency and relationship breakdown, is there a pattern? Is there a point at which codependency tips into something that sparks the demise of a relationship? Or is it more sort of multifaceted than that? Well, I'd say it's a slow burn generally. When I look at the honeymoon phase turning into you know, the phase where we sort of move to more uh, friendship-based love, which is not an absence of intimacy, but there's more of a long term. We're in this. It, when I think about the idea that the honeymoon phase ends, I think what often happens is that we have given up who we are for the relationship. We'll do anything, right? Like we'll stay out late. We'll we'll do anything at the beginning of that. Things are wild. They're exciting. They're new. But eventually, we kind of get adapted to that newness. And you know, the, there's a term that there's a fall from grace, and our partners become human, and then. Now they fart and they do stuff we don't like. And so what happens though is unconsciously, if I've stopped prioritizing myself, I stop maybe hanging out with my friends, I stop doing the things I love and I do it for the relationship. What often happens is there's an unconscious resentment to the other person because we blame them for the abandonment of ourselves. We you know, maybe we're in a relationship with someone who is the primary breadwinner. Well, if not discussed, that power dynamic actually creates resentment. Because Harriet Lerner has this great statement where she says, 
If you are not actually free to leave a relationship, you will never feel free to be yourself in the relationship. And what happens is, is unconsciously, we end up staying in patterns of self-abandonment and we end up not using our voice because there's tons of hooks that are going on. You know, like one hook can be fiscal, but another one can be sexual. Another one can be, I'm going to do all these things for you and you're going to notice. And if you don't notice, then I'm going to get upset with you. So it is often a slow burn. And that's why when we go through things like breakups or separations, divorces, for me, I'm probably one of the only people who's like, all right, like, let's not waste a good divorce. And that's not to minimize what someone's going through, but to say like, your life is actually just beginning. Like you have no idea the power you can unlock in yourself from actually going through this. Like you could now end all these patterns that have become exhausting. You can learn to stand for yourself, stand for your values, stand for your needs. And so it could become this great adventure if we orient to it from that way. Mm. I guess the difficulty with that is for a lot of people, the absence of the relationship is a complete absence, isn't it? They don't know what it is they stand for. And it's about then having to go back and do some of that beginning work, the stuff we're all meant to do when we're teenagers, work out who we are. And I guess for lots of people, they haven't worked out who they are. And it takes a crisis for that opportunity to then present itself, doesn't it? So I guess it's quite scary, particularly if you're not the person choosing to end the relationship, but if you're being abandoned from a co-dependent relationship, you're then in the situation where you've had your safety net taken away and there doesn't feel like there's anything to replace it. So how do you help somebody over that initial hurdle? Because that's kind of frozen rabbit in the headlight stuff, isn't it? Yeah, look, there's there's really not words that can, I can't put in the language how painful that experience is. You know, when I went through a breakup about, it's about four years ago with my now wife and mother of our child, um, I remember taking note of how painful it was. I remember being like, I forgot. I forgot how much grief is, is such a powerful force. I, there's a few perspective shifts I like to invite people to. The first one is that what I noticed with my grief, because it was the first time I explored a breakup sober, and so I couldn't escape from it. I couldn't run from it. I, I didn't have a pint glass to bury it under. And I was sitting with just the depths of that pain. And I was remarking on how really this grief was love, that it was just evidence of how much I loved and how much I cared and how much I opened and that I loved her, regardless of whether the relationship ended, the love was present. And being able to be a witness of one's own capacity, like I don't think a broken heart is, you know, someone who can't move on or is like suffering immensely. I think a broken heart is actually someone who won't allow themselves to open again. You know, if you experience grief after a breakup, it's working. Your heart's working. Like what beautiful evidence of your capacity. And the other recalibration I invite is that we're going to get through that part, like the, the part where the band-aid's torn off. and the. But there's really something so important to note. If someone has left us and we are left incomplete, I love to just remind people that anything that leaves you, that you place your value in, leaves you so you can figure out that your value doesn't live there. And I get shivers even thinking about that because it's such a powerful thing to realize that if your relationship was your life, 
and how you define yourself as a good husband, a good wife, a good whatever, and you lose your relationship, you're still good. But under the definition of how society structures, how we look at divorce, if we accept the narrative, I say, fuck that narrative, pardon my language. And I say, like, throw it in the garbage. (laughs) Because when someone says to you, oh my God, you're divorced. Don't take that story. That's such a bullshit story. The story can be, the divorce was actually the best thing that ever happened to you. Imagine that. And I don't say that to minimize where someone's at. So if you're hearing this and you're like, this is definitely not the best thing that's ever happened to me. I'm not trying to bypass the grief or anything like that. I'm saying that underneath the grief or beside the grief is also a seed. And then seed is hope and possibility. And it's like when you decide what the moments of your life mean about your life, you're in power. When you take responsibility and you're like, you know what? This ending's going to be the catalyst to my transformation. It's going to be the fire that I rise from. You get to decide. And so there's, we can be a victim of an experience, not to minimize that, but you can't both think the world happens to you and impact the world. They can't live together. You have to decide. You can be in the grief of the experience and choose that this is, you're going to take all the, the value of the pain and the, and the pattern recognition and exploring your divorce and how you showed up and where did you forget about yourself? And you're going to use that and you're going to create gold from it. You're going to use, you're going to do alchemy. And that alchemy, people are going to be wondering what the hell you did because you're walking around and they're like, didn't she just get divorced? They're like, she's looking good. Like she's got a, she's got a swagger. She's got a vibe. I'm like, that's such a great, cause that trans, then everyone looks and goes, oh wow. Like a breakup doesn't have to end your life. It can begin your life. We always say that it's the closing of one chapter and by virtue of that, you're opening another and it's for you to then write that next chapter, isn't it? And like you say, that's not to minimize the pain and the grief and the misery sometimes that people are in, but it's just remembering that there's that opening and there's that possibility and that you are capable of of taking up that mantle and moving on and moving forward. And I think that is is really important to write that as the narrative of divorce, rather than this idea of it's a failure and it's something to be ashamed of and all the rest of it. Because the longer we dwell on that, the more time we're wasting getting on with the next chapter of our lives. And yes, there's a process to grief and you need some time to process the grief, but it's not just a process that happens on its own. You can be grieving and rising at the same time. And I find that energy when you're in that, when that is just the most incredible time to be working with people when they're finding their feast, they're finding their voice at the same time as, as grieving and dealing with something that they're now moving on from. It's, it's a precious time. That's so beautiful. You, um, you be mentioned at the beginning. Sorry, just, that line, yeah. you can be grieving and rising. Everyone remember that. It's a both and to step towards your power is not the betrayal of your grief. Exactly. Yeah, exactly that. And some people do feel guilty and feel like they've got to have this period of mourning or whatever. And and it, I just, I can't see the point in that. I just, I can't get my head around that idea both, of being right? that the way to right. live. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned at the beginning, because we were talking about obviously codependent relationships, that they're not necessarily a bad thing. Codependency isn't necessarily a bad thing. Let's talk a little bit about how codependency then is helpful or healthy within a relationship, if, if indeed it can be? Well, at the basis of all your relationships, you're constantly asking the question, if things didn't go well, would you be here for me? So we're always exploring all our connections to see if they are safe, to be ourselves, to communicate, to self-express. Even in our workplace, 
you know, one of the greatest predictors of a healthy corporate culture, which we could just correlate to a community, a family, a, co a couple, is am I psychologically safe? And I invite people to explore that because often the answer is no, I don't feel safe to be myself. And then the correlate to that, the correlate to that is then I'm co-creating relationships that aren't safe for me to express. Okay, well, that means I can change them. If I made them this way, I might as well make them another way. When we think about healing something like codependency, what often you hear as a response is, well, we're still supposed to need people. Like, I don't want to just not need people. And when we're healing and creating a self or actually honoring a self, which when I think about that, often people are not sure, what does that even mean? And to honor a self is to figure out what are your values. You could write four to five values out. If you don't know how to find those out, just look at who you admire and you probably want to emulate their values. And then you look at your life and you go, what's in alignment with my values? You add all the people, all the activities, all the choices you make. And do they fit or don't they? And then in the next column, you write what would be required to make them fit. And that's how you create a life that honors you. Now, imagine if in a relationship you did the same with a partner and you're like, how do we make this relationship do that? Feel expansive, possible that like you actually make me better. What? This is amazing. And, and that's the opportunity that we have is to go from, I need you to complete me, which that famous line from Jerry Maguire, which I think only a certain cohort of ages actually remember now. But that line really for a lot of people was like the most romantic line. Like everyone remembers Tom Cruise in that room just being like, you complete me. And everyone's like, oh my God. But really like we complete ourselves and then people add to that. And so when I think about things like boundaries, boundaries are really just the preservation of wholeness. They are, go around your values and your behaviors and they keep your stuff to you and their, other people's stuff to them. And the value of interdependency or needing other people is you do need them. If something goes wrong or you're sick or they are, or, or like you're going through a stressful time, you lose your job, being in a good relationship makes us thrive. It, it, it helps us keep afloat. And, you know, the greatest predictor of our health in our lifetime at age 80 is the quality of our relationships at age 50. Now, the good part is that it doesn't have to be romantic. It's actually friendship. It's community. So when we look at the value of codependency, it's that we are okay to need other people. That's a good thing we innately do for survival. It's just when our dependency on the needing means we're going to abandon ourselves and our opinion and our voice. So we actually, in order to keep the need, there's an exchange, an unconscious contract we're making that says, I'm going to get this from you. And in, in exchange, I'm going to give up my totality. I'm going to give away my power. And so this is a it, really healthy relationships. I mean, if I was to say to you, like, Hey, do you want a relationship where you can be expanded and step into all of who you are? I want to do that with you. Like, who wouldn't say yes to that? But we're usually sourcing something from the self-abandonment. And so it's about creating that something without requiring both people to participate in what I call self-erasure. And when you're, when you're working with people um, in a breakup, can, are you identifying codependencies as one of the reasons that they are ending their relationship? Is it a factor in relationship breakdown or 
Is it a consequence? I don't, I'm, I'm not sure I'm explaining that very well. I guess, is it something that drives the breakdown of a relationship? Do people become overwhelmed with the amount of dependency within a relationship? Well, they become overwhelmed with the lack of liberation, the lack of freedom, the lack of possibility to share how they truly feel what's really going on. And so the resentment builds, the contempt builds, the blaming of the other person, which can be accurate too, is that the other person is very reactive. So I can't share how I actually feel. They're not willing to actually do the work or they're always on my back. They're always criticizing me. These things build up over time in the Gottman's work, which I know you're very familiar with. They can predict divorce with over 80% accuracy with listening to just three minutes of a conversation. That shows you how important words are. And they talk about what they call the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which you know, is criticism, contempt, stonewalling, and defensiveness. Defensiveness and contempt especially are relationship killers. So codependency is really the framework that leads to the breakdown of a relationship. And that's why I don't see relational endings or even separations or ruptures as bad things because you know, although they're painful, they actually allow us to heal these things and begin to liberate ourselves through the avenue of relationship. And that's, so yeah, it's usually a symptom. So if I'm working with someone, we're just looking at what are their patterns from, you know, where they're, what happened in their childhood, you know, in the growing up at school, things like that. And how did their parents handle conflict, you know, and not even evidence like, did your parents get divorced? Although that can be helpful information. It's really just looking at what did you learn about love and what it meant to be you and how you survive in a system and conflict and where love was going to lead to. Because a lot of people, even unconsciously, if you say to them, you know, where did you learn that monogamy or connection went? And they're usually like infidelity, lying, conflict, divorce, pain after a divorce, constant fighting. And so what we do unconsciously is we recreate that story because we're trying to avoid that outcome. The irony is not lost upon me. But we can actually change the story completely. As you said, new chapter. You're the writer, you're the producer, you're the director. Why are you letting other people script your shit? Like, enough of that. And so there's this um, radical revolution that can occur with any relational ruptures. And it doesn't always have to be the end if two people are willing to actually, but two people have to be willing. Well, that's, that's what I going to say to you. Can you recover from a codependent relationship? I guess the answer to that is only if both people are willing to examine it, acknowledge it, uh, and, to, and to want to make the changes, I guess. Right, like if you send this podcast to someone who you always send stuff to, and they're like, okay, well, here's what I would say to them. Like at some point, you have to take responsibility for your side. And if you don't want to work it out, just tell them you don't want to work it out. Like, stop pretending you want to work it out. I see yeah. people in, with infidelity doing that where they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm totally in. And then they're, meanwhile, they're still talking to the person. They're, just mm -hmm. stop lying. Stop pretending. Yeah. Just like... Own it. Right, yeah. exactly. And like the, the person who's chasing, the healing is stop chasing. You don't need to convince people to love you. That's the, that, by definition, the act of doing that recreates the belief within you that you need to chase people, which means you're not enough as you are. So the wound keeps getting exposed by the behavior and we're wanting them to choose us, change, do the thing. But the, actually the healing is when we choose us, when we change, and then we stop 
orienting to relationship from a place of wounding that longs to be healed, but actually from a place of worth that longs to be expanded. It's a, it's a totally different orientation to love. It is. And, you know, lots of people who've been through a divorce and then they're back out dating, they talk about exactly that kind of thing, don't they? The the difference when they're back out there having healed and having taken some time to establish who they are, what they want, and they're not needing someone to come along and be their other other half, but instead they're choosing to go out there, as you say, and have a, a different kind of life and to be more expanded. And it's, it's wonderful, but it, we're making it sound so easy, aren't we? What, <laughs> what stops people? What are the pitfalls? What happens so that people are trapped in codependent relationships or codependency? Well, the first one is that they don't explore their patterns. So if you don't look at the gold that is in the breakup or the divorce, then you're going to repeat your patterns. You know, we often go through a phase where maybe, you know, there's that saying to get over your ex, get under the next. That's not actually good advice. Uh, it might feel good, the arousal, but at the end of the day, we have to actually be willing to learn from the grief, learn from the anger. And I'd say the things that happen is we tend to be drawn back into the pattern of the other person. And sometimes we're dealing with very difficult people, you know, especially in the context of co-parenting. Co-parenting can be a real difficult because we really have to learn how to establish boundaries, maybe for the first time in our lives. You know, we really have to learn how to stand up for ourselves. We have to learn how to create a co-parenting relationship that is now productive and teaches them. And, you know, a lot of people feel really guilty when they get divorced because of the perceived impact on the children. And I understand the message is constantly sent about that. But, you know, at the end of the day, two people who are together is, of course, an ideal. But two people who are apart who treat each other with love and respect is not far off from that. And I would say people who are together who are disrespectful to one another and people who are apart who are disrespectful to one another, there's no hierarchy to the damage that causes. So what we want to do is just really look at like, what do I want to model for my child? Like I have a son now. And when I look at my son, I say, I love you so much that I'm willing. You give me the energy to change. Like through my love for you, I become different. I, I've prioritized fitness more, more than I ever have. I look at how I get defensive in conversations with my wife and I'm like, okay, this is the gym. This is the gym. So none of what, changing patterns sucks. Are you kidding me? Like learning how to have boundaries. Caught. <laughs> so yeah. scary because you're in a place of the unknown. You're changing how you relate to other people and it is going to disrupt your relationships. And that's not a sign of a lack of progress. That's actually evidence of progress. So where most people in codependency respond to their world, they are chameleons, which means no one really gets to know you. That's the first part. And that's sad. We have to be with the grief of that. And as you come alive, you're going to be grieving as, as you said, like you can be grieving and rising. And that's exactly what's going to happen is you're going to recognize that boundaries were always available to you. You just didn't know about them. And you didn't learn about them. No one taught us any of this shit, which isn't fair at all. But here we are. Like, you know, and so as we go through this pivotal changing moment, it's like, imagine what we could teach our children. Imagine, even because if I change how I behave with my mom, my mom now has to change how she behaves with me. So we make the world respond to us and organize around us, not from a selfish perspective, because what we're also doing 
is honoring the sovereignty and individuation of other people. So instead of a bunch of adolescents and children being in relationship, which is really what happens, and I don't mean that condescendingly, and that's just a behavioral thing, we can all be adults. And adults are not conditional with love, but they don't tolerate stuff, right? Like we often say like unconditional love and people go, oh, but that means I have to go back to that person or I have to tolerate. No, 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 no. Compassion and tolerance don't live on the same street. You know, so it's important for people to know that, that you can have compassion for someone's addiction. You can have compassion for someone's struggles. You can have a compassion that they prioritize other things over relationship and where that comes from in their childhood, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't have to tolerate it. You get to decide what you tolerate, what standards you want to hold for your life and for yourself. And that's interesting. So in that scenario, what does not tolerating look like? So I think sometimes people struggle with the idea of we talk about boundaries, but what does a boundary mean in a close relationship? Yeah. So how we express our boundaries can be really you know, pivotal because if we come from a place where we're boundaryless, we're probably shaking a little bit. Our tummy is probably a little sick. Our voice is shaking. We might have a hard time getting the words out. So it's really helpful to have practice scripts are really helpful. And a lot of, you know, we know that term, fake it till you make it. But this, you're not actually faking it. You're just learning the language you never had for the feelings you have always had. And you're learning the language of self-preservation, self-protection, self-ownership, sovereignty, responsibility. So when I'm sharing with my partner, one thing that we do is we use words like in my experience, and that leaves room for the other person's experience. We have studied conflict, so we like can pick it up. We have a rule that if one person's escalated, the other person can't join in. That one's hard, let me tell you, Mm because I want to jump right in and I'm like, oh, you want to go? Let's go, you know? And the other side of it is that use of saying like, here's what I say when I express a boundary and this is what I teach people to do, is using a sentence like, hey, look, I really love you and I want our relationship to be a place that both of us can be all that we can be. And because of that, I'm committed to being direct with you and being respectful and being kind. And that's what I want to create with you. Are you in? Or in service of that, here's an experience that I had that feels da 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 And here's the desired behavior I have. So, you know, you were late the other day and you didn't call. And I understand that you have things that come up in the future. I ask that you give me a call just to give me a heads up. Does that work for you? Does that sound reasonable? I mean, who wouldn't? Like, if you preface that you are committed to... No, I'm always saying yes to you. know, like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Honestly, that's absolutely fine. (laughs) Right, because if you say I'm committed to creating this... Now, secondly, you sure as hell better live it. Like, you can't ask people to be anything you're not. You want a good communicator, but you're shitty? It's not fair. And so this is the standard we have to hold for ourselves, and that's integrity. And integrity is liberating. It's completely liberating. And if you live your life with integrity, you invite everyone around you to live their life with integrity. That's a gift, not a consequence. You know, that's not a bad thing. If someone says, man, you're really committed to kindness and respect, it's really driving me nuts. No one could say that reasonably. And just then in the context of kind of separation, divorce, relationship, breakups, that kind of stuff, and codependency. So if you're in a codependent relationship, the relationship's broken down, you want to move on, you're doing your best to move on. But like you mentioned before, perhaps you're co-parenting. It might not always be possible to have that adult conversation with your co-parent. Are there things that you can do 
as an individual that don't require the other person to sort of be on the same page or be coming along with you on that journey. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important that people know that you can change relationships by changing yourself. You know, you can change entire family systems by changing yourself. Now, expecting that the new version of you who's now got opinions and thoughts and feelings and needs is going to be welcomed by the system is an unfair expectation. And that's not to justify any behavior that might be reactive to how you change. And Harriet Lerner does a beautiful job of talking about this in her book, Dance of Intimacy, that the system, if you start changing, it means the whole system has to reorient around a new version of you in a family, in a codependent relationship, like an intimate relationship, it requires that the other person, like if all of a sudden you stop fighting and you're like, I really hear you. That makes sense. I can understand. They're like, wait, what? You under And they might try to get you back into the old pattern. So being able to stay the course, which means being well-resourced when we're starting to do things like this, which is really about learning how to regulate our nervous system, how to co-regulate with other healthy people, which is why good therapists, coaches, friends, groups are important. Because your nervous system is saying like, oh my gosh, it's like so different to be with people who don't react to everything or I'm not trying to fix them. Like I don't have a job anymore. What am I going to do? And you're like, you're going to rest. What a beautiful thing. So it's normal that that would happen. And you can do it by really diving deep on yourself you know, really committing to learning how to be an amazing communicator, learn about boundaries. I'm sure that there's probably lots of episodes on here about how to do that. Learn through, there's co-parenting therapists and coaches who can help people navigate the most difficult situations, which I have so much compassion for. I know a couple that use a intermediary to communicate about drop-offs because one of them just can't communicate and is horrible about it. So the boundary that the other person set was like, I no longer can be in direct communication with you because it's just not okay. I'm, I will not tolerate that behavior. And so that boundary was massive. And I could tell you like it, how that felt for, for that person was terrifying, you know, but slowly but surely the boundaries came in. And what that teaches the children too is that mom or dad doesn't tolerate disrespect, you know, and yeah. Yeah. So that's some ideas, you know, like things like meditation are very helpful just to create more space in your mind to be able to be an observer rather than reactive. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? We'll, we'll try and talk about responding rather than reacting. And just because somebody else says or does something, you don't have to react to that. You can choose to do or say nothing sometimes. And that can be one of the most simple but powerful techniques you can employ. Just not to do your old pattern, which is to jump straight back in there and give it back with both barrels. I mean, that's just creating that time, just that mm. moment to think, that space. So beautiful to finally it can just, say it. It can just really bring a new equilibrium, can't it, to a relationship. I guess just on a cultural point, it won't escape. Anyone's noticed that you're Canadian. So from a sort of cultural perspective, in the UK, what there's a sort of a very fine line between a boundary and being selfish. From your perspective, where is that line? Well, I kind of laugh at that because my mother's Irish and so Catholic, formerly Catholic Irish, and uh, guilt and, and boundaries, uh, are, they live on the same, they're, they're best friends. 
You're right. And you know, like where I'm Canadian and Canadians, I would say culturally people kind of laugh at because we say sorry for everything, which is pretty codependent. And so then you look at the United States, which generally has an overt emphasis on individuation or the individual. And so there's this line, like, how do we honor the collective and the individual? That's possible, but that is required through communication. Boundaries are one of those helpful things. Now, guilt as a experience, as an emotion, is usually why we don't have boundaries. So guilt was probably weaponized against us, perhaps culturally, right? Like I grew up learning that guilt was just what you felt when you felt anything. Like if you had arousal, well, you're Catholic, you're not allowed to have any arousal. So I guess guilt and your humanness, you're going to hell. I remember thinking that as a kid, like what a wild option. I got a, I got a, an erection and I'm going to hell. This isn't fair. <laughs> but guilt, actually, you can learn to increase your capacity for guilt. You can learn to increase. So normally what we do is we don't have the capacity to self-regulate which is nervous system, so to be with my own feelings. And so what normally people who are in the people pleaser sort of mode of codependency, that emotion they don't know how to hold causes them to act. And so we actually learn how to hold the emotion longer. So when I think about things like compromise versus self-abandonment, which is, I think, at the root of your question, what I see is that compromise, like let's say, for example, my partner is like, hey, there's this really awesome opportunity for work. It would require us to move to, I don't know, Cincinnati or something, which is not on my top list of places to move. I would check in because like, perhaps that means I can't do something where, I, where we live currently or I have to change something or prioritize something else. But I know it's in service of the relationship. That like the relationship is actually made better through that choice, even though I am take, I'm compromising. Self-abandonment doesn't feel compromising and actually resentment will usually live in the same place. Now, for people who are traditionally been codependent their whole lives, resentment will actually be a normal feeling. It will be a normal feeling to carry resentment. But here's a very important truth that's true 100% of the time not 99.9. And that is that uh, resentment is always evidence that you do not prioritize yourself, that you are resenting someone or something for not prioritizing you. And so it's the best evidence because a lot of us carry it and instead of communicating it, which would allow the other person to hear it, it's not unhealthy to experience resentment. It's actually a beautiful feeling that is evidence that there's more of you that would like to take up more space. And if you don't tell people what you need to take up, they can't give it to you. But normally the pattern is, is that you're just used to holding on to resentment, resentment and self-abandonment and people-pleasing codependency, highly correlated to inflammation. So we see actually the impact of self-abandonment has, you can look at adverse childhood experiences study, you can see how these experiences actually cause inflammation in our body. So what conflict is avoided is actually internalized. Oh, that's super interesting, isn't it? And as much as I don't particularly want to use the uh, podcast in such a self-serving way, it is very timely for me. I need to have a very big conversation with a member of my family. <laughs> so on a personal level, thank you for that. You're welcome. You know what? When I started to heal codependency with my wife through the breakup actually was like a real powerful catalyst 
to sort of like the completion moves, not to say it's ever done because I don't want the universe to deliver me too much more. Always got enough. But it required that I oriented to my family differently. It required that I had conversations. And through being liberated in my romantic relationship, my family relationships have, for the most part, been liberated as much as they currently can, which is really beautiful. And I'm like, I wanted to say earlier, and I meant to finish the, the statement, which is that we often think that this new version of us that's coming alive, it's not working because other people don't agree with it. And I was saying people will often be reactive to it. But I actually want people to recognize that your success is not, the, the evidence of your success is not other people agreeing with the new you. It's actually that you do. It's, it's actually the act of taking up space that claims your value, not someone's agreement with the space you take up or your new needs that you've always had but never shared. It's actually you expressing them that says these matter. The other person might not agree with them. That is, again, where the whole thing that needs to happen is that our worth comes from us, us being in alignment with our values, our expression. And not being validated by the other. Yeah, yeah. you know that saying, the only thing I need validated from you is my parking. That's, that's such a good little, <laughs> you know, a little sassy. <laughs> Quip. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's kind of the essence of this whole podcast, isn't it? This whole idea that it's you and the acceptance that you don't need the external validation. That's the breaking of the codependency. So it's a, a beautiful note to end on. I'm conscious of the time. Thank you so much for that. It's such a fascinating conversation. Honestly, it makes just makes me want to head for the therapy room just to keep going and explore more. So I'm really grateful, Mark. It's lovely to speak to you as ever. Now, you've got a massive social media following, and I know that lots of people will know where to find you. But on the off chance that somebody doesn't know, where's the best place to hear more about the kind of stuff you care about? Yeah, thanks so much for having me back on. It's such an honor to be trusted with your audience. And hi to everyone in the audience. I appreciate you trading time to listen to me. That means a lot. You can go to Create the Love on Instagram. I have the Mark Groves podcast. Also, Kylie and I, my wife and I, wrote a book that comes out in April. So that's available for pre-order and it's called Liberated Love. And you can just go to liberated-love.com and uh, order it. So thank you so much. I'm so grateful. That's brilliant. I'm going to look out for that book. That sounds like a fascinating read. Fingers crossed it hits the bestseller list. Fingers crossed. Everyone listening, (laughs) Um, help us, help us. Please do. Um, You can find out more about the podcast if you'd like to hear more episodes by visiting thedivorcepodcast.com or find us on your favorite listening channels. Thank you very much indeed, Mark. Lovely to see you again. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Mm -hmm.